What's up, everybody? This is the Universal Dialect Show. I'm your host, Chris Cypher73 Cabrera, episode number 39. I have a great guest on. Uh, he goes by Ashton Forbes. Normally, Ashton, I do like a little introduction, but I really didn't hear about you until like the middle of last year. So uh, let's just jump into it. Can you just briefly go into your origin story? Because I would imagine that you are on a trajectory in your career before this incident happened and before you decided you were going to kind of dive into it. What were like, give us a, a, ba a basic of your origin story, like where you were raised, born, the career you were, yeah. trajectory you were on. Well, I was bit by a radioactive spider. All um, right. <laughs> no, I, uh, let's see. And so I've been a healthcare IT consultant pretty much my whole career. Uh, all I've ever really wanted to do in life is try to help people out. And healthcare, in my opinion, in the United States is kind of a big scam. So I wanted to learn as much about it, um, help out, make it as efficient as possible, and teach people ways where they can uh, not have their lives ruined and go broke from you know the healthcare system in general. Um, and so I've been, uh, I call myself a database architect because uh, I work on this software that, um, you know, helps set up the medical records for clients that are out there. And um, I really like that job. I uh, still like that job, actually. Uh, how I got involved in the MH370 case and investigation was back in August. Um, and just as a little precursor to this, you know, in the last maybe four years or a little bit longer, um, I've had my own revelation that, uh, you know, the media is not being truthful with us and that they distort a lot of things and that uh, in America specifically, we are subject to the same propaganda that um, other countries are. And we think that we have a, a free uh, media, but we really don't outside of at least alternative media. I don't think that we do. And um, so some videos reemerged on a social media site Reddit back in August and they appear to show uh, MH370 getting zapped, let's call it, by three orbs that circle around them in a perfect triangle formation. And I had gotten interested in UFOlogy around 2017, 2018, uh, when the DOD Navy videos were declassified. And I thought, oh, wow, there's really something here to these UFO videos, right? And we got to see what FLIR footage looked like, forward-looking infrared that we saw on these uh, airplanes that were filming this stuff. And I just thought that was very interesting. Um, but never since then, not once, had I ever seen a video where it was so compelling that I thought, holy crap, people need to know about this. And the irony of that is back in 2014, I've always kind of just tracked news and things that were happening, especially stuff around plane crashes, because I, I don't like, I get afraid of flying. I had to do it a lot for my job. And uh, I was never very comfortable with what happened with MH370 in terms of the explanation. But I remember seeing one of these videos back then. And a lot of people had thousands Can of Can I people. ask you real quick, though? Um, yeah, please. Before you get into like your research, Sure. For those who don't know and are under a rock, what can you can you tell us what the media told us? Like what sure. the majority of our population know what this story is? What is well, the then, just to bridge what I was saying before, I'd say is yes. that so these, these videos had reemerged and I became an investigator digging into them um, because I had seen one of these videos. And that's when I started uh, MH370X, which is just a volunteer group of people who've been looking into what happened to the plane, the official story around the plane, any clues and evidence that we can collect to determine is the story that we've been told really the truth or not. 
Now, what we've been told in the media is that this plane was a, a suicidal pilot who crashed into the South Indian Ocean. And right away, there's some big problems with this idea. The first is that there was never a debris field found. 777s are a huge plane. This is a plane is almost the size of a city block. can hold 300 plus people. These planes don't crash into the ocean without leaving debris fields. That's just not a thing that happens. The other problem is that in 2014, this is not like the Stone Ages. It's not the 80s or anything. We've got satellites everywhere in the United States. As part of this investigation, we've been able to prove that the government, U.S. government, has a global network of satellites called SIBRS, Space-Based Infrared System, constantly scanning the globe, global persistent surveillance monitoring. And there's 0% chance that they didn't see this plane. So we know right away that there's a major conspiracy here at play. As much as people don't want to hear that, they want to think, no, 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 the media told me it crashed in the ocean. It's just not possible. So... The, and if people look back uh, in terms of what happened the days afterwards, it should be obvious that there was a major cover-up. Everything was obfuscated. It's been attributed to ignorance, but it's not. It was malice. Sad to say is that even Malaysia, which is a third world country, they're not this ignorant. They had people searching in the South China Sea for five days, even though they had military radar of this plane going back across their country into the Andaman Sea on the west side of the country, they knew there was no chance this plane crashed into the South China Sea. So people really need to ask themselves, why were they lying? And if people lie, when do you believe that they're telling the truth and when do you not? The answer is you have to look at the evidence. So this plane took off at 1642 UTC from Kuala Lumpur. It's headed northeast to Beijing. 40 minutes later, we get the final communication from the pilot, the final communication that's released to the public. We should not assume that there was no other communications. Again, when people lie, you can't just assume that they're telling the truth sometimes. So 64 seconds after we get our final commu communication, says, good night, Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, plane goes dark. Then this plane turns back and goes to Penang, the closest airport that you would go to in an emergency scenario. Right away, we can tell this is not a suicidal scenario. This is a suicidal pilot. They're not turning around and going to the closest airport you need to go to for help. They're going to just crash the plane. This is exactly what happened in the German wing's suicidal pilot in 2015. After he locks the co-pilot out, he doesn't go on a six-hour joyride with the plane. No, he crashes the plane immediately because eventually people are going to get into the cockpit. Um, now, the narratives out there would say, oh, well, he, he depressurized the plane. Okay, well, if you depressurize the plane, you need to fly really high and knock everybody else out. And there needs to be nobody else that has oxygen the, or uh, access to the crew oxygen. Otherwise, you're just going to be in a situation where you're, you're battling someone else. And if you get in any kind of fight, the plane's going to crash as well. So um, this plane goes back to Penang. For whatever reason, it doesn't land in Penang, but we knew it flew very low because the co-pilot cell phone pings when it gets over Penang at around two in the morning. The people that want to develop this fake suicidal pilot narrative that just isn't based on any evidence will say, well, he wasn't going there for emergency. He was going to say goodbye to his hometown, which it's two in the morning, man. And this is not something people do in suicidal scenarios is, oh, I'm going to just go fly over to my hometown and say goodbye. It's like, no, he was obviously going to seek for help. And I think that any pilots you talk to that uh, are unbiased will realize that that's a far more likely scenario. And so then where does the pilot go? If the pilot's going to the South Indian Ocean, they're just going to fly directly over Indonesia. They're not afraid of dodging radars or jets coming after them, because if any jets come after them, they're just going to crash the plane at any moment, anytime they want. 
again, if this person's a mass, uh, uh, sadomasochist or whatever you want to call them, somebody who's suicidal, they're not afraid of any, anything happening to them, right? They can just crash the plane anytime not. But so instead it turns, it goes northwest. It goes to the Andaman Sea in the Nicobar Islands. And this is where the Cope Tiger exercises are going on between the United States, Thailand, and Singapore. This is like flying into the eye of the storm. This is going directly at the most dangerous place for a hijacker or suicidal pilot to go to. What was this? this is where again? I'm sorry. Cope, I, I, Cope Tiger is what it's called. You can look what, it up. They happen it? every year. These are exercises that happen between the United States and, and Thailand uh, and Singapore, um, but pretty majority U.S. and Thailand. And these are going to have the most advanced equipment are going to be there. In fact, the theme of that year was search and rescue. Uh -huh. So if you need to go somewhere to get help, that's the spot you would go to. That's not the spot you're going to go to in a suicidal pilot who's trying to avoid everybody. It doesn't make any sense at all. So um, the last, the day after, or the, that next day, March 8th, the media comes out and says that, Malaysia comes out and says they lost contact with the plane at 1840 UTC. That gets changed later on. After they develop, they say, oh, well, just kidding, it wasn't in the South China Sea. They change the time and they say, well, military radar lost track of it in the Straits of Malacca and the Andaman Sea, which is to the west of Malaysia at uh, 1815 or 1822 UTC. It's still not even clear to me which of those two times is the correct one. And it seems like they were already working on a cover story at this point. Five days after the plane goes missing, March 13th, unnamed U.S. officials start to drop narratives out there saying, oh, the plane turned into the Indian Ocean. But there's even a lot of question about this. Rolls-Royce and Boeing were questioning whether or not the plane actually flew for five hours. I just found another report yesterday. Some of my investigators looked in and found that the engines were supposedly turned off as if like they had landed normally somewhere. And then this had to get retracted as well. So like this is not, if this plane had just crashed, these are not the stories that you would be getting a hearing, right? We would have found the plane the next day, no matter where on earth it crashed. We're going to see a huge debris field somewhere. You're not going to have all this obfuscation talking about, like if you just listen to the press conferences, it's clear these people are lying. They get asked basic questions by like the New York Times going, is it even possible to turn off all the diagnostic equipment in the airplane? And you've got the expert in the press conference going, well, we'll have to look into that. That's not an answer you give somebody if you're being honest. If you're being honest, you just go, no, it's not possible. Obviously, that information should be out there, right? We're talking about a situation where people could be in boats somewhere stranded on the ocean, right? Because of a crash or whatever, um, or a hijacking. So right away, we know these official narratives out there make no sense. And as I mentioned, then this narrative gets developed. And again, I say narrative because I don't know if people even realize this, but the official story is that we don't know what happened to the plane. The official right. story isn't this plane was crashed in the ocean and that it was a hijacking. In fact, the officials have ruled out uh, the pilot suicide scenario. The officials have said, no, that's not possible. The pilot passed all the mental tests. There was no evidence whatsoever. The uh, wife was not leaving him. He was not some kind of jihadist. All this stuff is just fake narratives that were pushed down to the media. And some of them are pretty racist, honestly. It just comes from this idea of 9-11 where you assume everybody who's Muslim must be a terrorist or something like that. Everybody loved this guy. His officials loved him. His wife uh, stood up for him. All the coworkers loved him. 18,000 flight hours on this guy. He had a custom simulator. They tried to, again, so much misinformation and false information was out there, um, including the simulator thing that they pushed, where they said, oh, he practiced this route. Total bullshit. Total bullshit. Turns out that this was just MH150 from Kuala Lumpur to Jeddah. 
And the dates on that was March or February 4th, well over a month before the suicide flight. Right. And he was scheduled to, or sorry, he was scheduled to fly that on February 4th and he practiced it on February 2nd and February 3rd. So literally just him practicing the route, he was scheduled to fly on February 4th. It was had nothing to do with hip matching the route and it doesn't even match. It's just like taking two, two routes that are going in generally the same direction and saying that, Oh, this matches like it, it's not a match at all. Um, and then they take like one diversion point, like one custom point that he had that's like somewhere in the South Indian Ocean near Antarctica or something. And they say, oh, well, this this proves that's where you what happened. Like it was just a complete fabrication of the story. And again, the reason why this is so important is that I'm just going to lay it out for your audience here. This plane did not crash in the South Indian Ocean. And I'm saying this is an objective fact. The reason is we would have seen it from satellites. Debris field would have been miles wide. Impossible to not see on satellites. Um, there would have been acoustic detections. There was no acoustic detections for the plane crashing into the ocean. We have the SOSA system, this one that heard the Titan sub pop, like just this last summer. This is a, That sub is a tiny sub, and they pinpointed its exact location in the middle of the ocean. So, of course, they would have been able to figure out where Malaysian Airlines was. There was also acoustic detectors in Diego Garcia and Western Australia, two different hydrophones. Both would have been able to detect it. They hear nothing. No black boxes are found, even though the place where they supposedly crashed along the seventh arc. I looked all along the seventh arc. None of this is too deep. These black boxes are are registered for up to 20,000 feet in depth. And acoustic detections travel better underwater. And the signal they gave off is a unique artificial signal that cannot be mistaken for anything else whatsoever. It's not like, oh, we heard some whales or something. No, like the signal these boxes give off is extremely specific. They don't find any of them. And of course they don't. Plane didn't crash there. There's also at least four countries whose radars would have been able to confirm the plane flew into the South Indian Ocean. Thailand, they say nothing. India has bases in Kar Nicobar and Port Blair, where this plane, right where this plane turned into the South Indian Ocean, right where they have the Cope Tiger exercises going on. Nothing there. Indonesia, it goes right past Indonesia. Indonesia's like, oh, well, our system was on, or no, just kidding, it was off. Like, there's no clear answer there. And Australia has this Jorn system, which can see like super far out into the Indian Ocean. None of them get any radar signatures whatsoever. So we've got no acoustics, no black boxes, no radar signatures, no debris field. No, this just indicates a simple answer. It didn't crash in the South Indian Ocean. And all you need to do in order to realize this is realize that the Inmarsat data was spoofed or faked or misinterpreted. I don't know which it is. But every single theory out there that thinks this plane crashed in the South Indian Ocean is based on roughly 10 rows of an Excel spreadsheet. That's it. That's the difference between this plane crashing in the South Indian Ocean or not. Even this whisper report by Richard Godfrey that he pushed out solely based on the Immersat data. If you take away the Immersat data, his whole report, you might as well store it in the trash. And you can't track airplanes with whisper route anyway. The guy who made this whisper route uh, program even says you can't track planes with it. They're trying to use these old radio signals. And it's like trying to track a guy in a white shirt when you're at the fair and it's full of white shirts. And it's like, oh, wait, I lost him. Where is he? Right. right. It's not like, right. oh, I can just pinpoint where this plane was going. Right. Um, and that should be obvious for anyone who reads the whisper report, like I did, where it's got this plane doing stuff that's just completely illogical. Like hugging the coast of Indonesia makes no sense. It's not how you avoid radar anyway. Has it doing weird cutbacks where they literally say in the whisper report, does a cutback to see if anyone's behind him? Like, okay, first of all, that's not even something you would be able to glean from a radar, from a, a radio signal. So <laughs> I don't know why you're making statements like that in your whisper report. But then it's like, oh, 
they clearly lost tracking of like some radio signals. So they just make up, well, it just did like a 30 minute holding pattern here. <laughs> Wait, you said it's a, it's a suicidal pilot scenario. Why they didn't a holding pattern in the middle of the ocean? doesn't make any sense. So, uh, yeah, the whisper report, even though early on I believed it because I thought, you know, I'm going to believe all these official narratives out there, it collapses immediately. Now, what really happened then? The answer is lithium-ion battery fire. The, the Malaysia, uh, Malaysian Airlines CEO initially lies and says there's nothing dangerous on board this plane. And then a week later, March 20th, and this is already after they had developed this fake narrative of the plane going to the South Indian Ocean, comes out and admits, oh, no, there was something dangerous. There's 500 pounds of lithium-ion batteries in the cargo bay. They were put together that day. They were unscreened. It's like this was before we realized how dangerous lithium-ion batteries were. If you go check now, in the very next year, 2015, FAA outlaws them in the cargo bay of passenger planes. You're not allowed to have them, not even in your checked bags, nothing. Because there's nobody down there checking. A bunch of planes burnt up because of these things in the cargo bay. It's because of how dangerous they are. Runaway lithium-ion battery fire is an uncontrolled fire. It can't be put out. And when I say can't be put out, it's not like you can't get the fire out. It's like you get it out and it just comes back up again. Like those trick candles, right? On birthday. Exactly birthday. like the trick candles. That's the scenario. That's actually the analogy I use a lot. Right. And the reason why this is important is because people will say, well, the plane would have burnt up if it was on fire. Well, no, because they're literally putting it out continuously. The halon fire extinguishing gas, actually, what it does is it takes oxygen out of the air. So it's actually very dangerous for the passengers because you're losing oxygen, just like a depressurization scenario. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to pour water on the battery. So you've got this halon fire extinguishing gas. Uh, there's three hours of it in the cargo bays that are automatically deploying. They have manual deployment of it as well. Presumably all the crew is battling this fire and they're probably pouring water on it as well to just try to put it out. And it's releasing bromine, a chemical gas, which is a, hal a halogen gas that glows orange. So now let's relook at this flight path real quick. And uh, I like to go about this part before we even talk about the videos because it goes to show that just from the videos alone, we were able to glean what really happened to this plane, which is a pretty normal event, a fire fire event. So we go back and we get to the point where this plane goes dark. Let's go look at the witnesses. Mike McKay is on an oil rig. The moment this plane goes dark at 1721 UTC, he sees it on fire for five to 10 seconds. At the maximum distance, you can see a plane that's at cruising altitude at 35,000, 40,000 feet. People try to say, oh, well, the curvature of the Earth says you can't see that. Well, it was literally perfect, clear conditions. This plane's at 40,000 feet in the sky. He's on an elevated oil rig, and he's going to see it just above the horizon due to how high it is, even though you have the curvature of the Earth. I've even now gone and seen pictures across, uh, I think it's Lake Michigan, where people were able to take pictures of Chicago, where people go, no, that should have been impossible. It shouldn't be possible. So... I think that people cannot just assume something's impossible. This guy has no reason to make up this story whatsoever. He ends up losing his job over it, sticks to his story years later, has his whole life ruined over this, and just what magically knew the right direction and angle where the plane was. Like, no, have you, he saw have you talked to him? Have you reached out to I've him? I've not personally him? talked to him, but you can see all his reports. All his stuff is all public out there. So, I mean, you can find all the news reports about it. He said that people misinterpreted his statement saying that he thought he saw the plane crash. The reality is that he's seen the plane so low to the horizon that he probably thought it crashed because a plane on fire you assume is going to crash, right? 
Um, but the reality is he said he didn't see it. He didn't see it crash. At the same time, there's nine witnesses along the coast of Thailand and Malaysia at the exact same time. They hear very loud noises. And what they're hearing is the batteries explode. Two pallets of these batteries were in the forward cargo base right next to the main equipment center, also known as the electronics bay. So these batteries explode. They damage the electronics bay. Boom, plane goes dark, right? Now this plane turns around. Where is it going? Penang, closest place you would go to for an emergency scenario. Uh, 10 minutes later, 1730 UTC, there's eight fishermen on a boat right outside, 10 miles off the coast. They see the plane flying extremely low. Now, why are they seeing the plane fly low? Because this is what you're supposed to do if you're a pilot in a fire scenario. You're supposed to depressurize the plane, fly low, try to get the fire out. And you're trying to fly low so you give the passengers oxygen to be able to breathe. The exact opposite of the suicidal pilot scenario. Uh, all of these witnesses, so far that's 18 witnesses that we've got right there, all have to be ignored for by these narratives that are out there. Literally, no one can even address them. All they have to say is, nope, they're all lying. That's literally what the... Uh, what the what the experts that I've talked to just say. They have no rebuttal whatsoever for this, despite the fact this is clearly the most plausible scenario. We have extremely dangerous batteries on board. Now, if this was a suicidal pilot or a hijacking scenario, Malaysian Airlines would send up jets, potentially shoot down the plane, right? This is a post-9-11 world we're talking about here. Do they do that? No. What does the Malaysian Minister of Defense say? He does an interview seven weeks later. It gets extremely defensive. He's obviously lying. I mean, anyone should watch the interview with him. I think it's called Four Points. I play it every so often whenever I want to laugh because you could just play it on Saturday Night Live without edits and you would be laughing your butt off at like how sketchy this guy is. Like the first question, just to give you an idea, is what time did you hear about the plane going missing? And he goes, does that matter? And she's like, yeah, for in the storytelling sense, yes. And he just like won't answer the question. And she's like, this is not a controversial question. But it is controversial if you're lying because you don't want to get caught in a lie, right? And anything you might say, someone could probably prove you wrong. And then you are of legal liability. So why don't they send the jets up? He goes, well, would, uh, would we shoot it down? Would you shoot it down? She's like, you said that, not me. And he's like, well, if, you know, why would you? And she, he asks her, the interviewer, why she would send jets up. And she goes, to track the plane, which should be the most obvious thing, right? And he says they knew that the, pl they, the plane was unidentified, but they knew it was not hostile and they knew it was a commercial airliner. You tell me, how can you possibly know that unless you have communication with the plane? How right. can you rule out a hijacking scenario unless you have communication? You can't. So the reason why they didn't set up jets is actually very obvious once again, because they knew it was a fire scenario. They know this plane is not at any risk of flying into buildings or anything like that. Uh, and the fire scenario makes perfect sense to go to Penang. Even though you could argue you should go back to Kuala Lumpur, Penang is closer and the elevation is better. There's even a Wired article about it saying that simplest solutions are the best and that they thought it might be an electrical fire. They didn't know about the lithium-ion batteries. Otherwise, I imagine they would rewrite that article and they would say, oh, yeah, obviously this was a lithium-ion battery fire because that's what the flight path dictates. Now, we don't know why they don't land in Penang. Um, there's a few different arguments. If you believe the Malaysian government is incompetent, and they didn't somehow know about the plane and what was going on with it, which seems impossible because they're tracking on military radar. How many rogue planes are there in the middle of the night, right? Um, you could argue that Penang doesn't have the runway lights on because it's two in the morning. So the airport's technically closed, third world country. Um, you know, Malaysia is essentially similar to like Mexico in terms of uh, kind of development, if you want to think of it like that. So 
you could argue they might not have the runway lights on. Uh, other possibilities could be during a fire scenario. Uh, if the main equipment center, the electronics bay was damaged, you could argue that the uh, run or the landing gear might not be able to be deployed. And then if you can't deploy the landing gear, it really becomes uh, a judgment call by the pilot. The things that you're supposed to do is land on your belly on land, supposedly. Not supposedly, actually. I've looked at the, the, the uh, manual. And then after that, if you can't do that, you're supposed to land in the ocean, on the water, on your belly. Both of these are very dangerous scenarios. One, because you've got six hours of fuel in your plane still at that point. You've only been flying for an hour and a half, two hours. So landing on your belly with fuel, plane's going to explode, no doubt. Now, if you try to dump the fuel, also risky. First of all, you might need that fuel to try to land somewhere. Second of all, if you dump that fuel and you're on fire, you could cause the whole plane to explode, right? Pretty dangerous. Uh, so it's kind of a judgment call there. Now, the next thing is you're supposed to land in the ocean. Well, what does it do? Goes flies out into the ocean. Not just anywhere either. Flies directly at the Cope Tiger exercises that are going on. To me, that seems like a really smart place to go to if you need emergency support, right? Fly to where all the super advanced military equipment is for the United States and Thailand and Singapore. Um, you could argue that maybe they should have tried to land on the coast next to Penang. But here's the thing that I want to tell everybody. Landing in the ocean is not like landing in the Hudson River. The chance of a Sully Sullenberger situation right here, very, 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 very low. Even Sully Sullenberger scenario, people consider it to be a miracle. Now we're talking about the ocean with much higher waves. The moment one of those waves hits the wing, this, this plane's going to do a barrel roll and it's going to rip into a million pieces and probably everybody's going to die. It's just, it, it's a doomed plane pretty much at this point. So they would be flying to get emergency help and potentially hope that they can somehow pull off a miracle landing and then get everybody out of the water as fast as possible. Uh, keep in mind, there was no light whatsoever. The moon is down and the sun is down. So it's pitch black also. So it's like a really, really doomed scenario for these people. Um, and that's where our videos come into play. So the plane gets out to the Nicobar Islands uh, around 1840 UTC. And there's another witness, the last witness, possibly the most crucial one, Catherine T. Yep. She sees a glowing orange plane with no navigation lights. So why is the plane glowing orange? Because of the bromine in the Halon 1301 fire extinguishing gas. It's been having a chemical reaction with the water and that they've been trying to pour on it to put it out. And it's releasing bromine, a halogen gas. And it's been doing that for the last hour while they're desperately battling this lithium ion battery fire they can't put out. And so now the plane is permeating this orange gas everywhere. So she sees this hazy orange glowing plane consistent with them battling this fire out there. Um, and she also sees it flying low. So every all the witnesses that we've seen so far are all seeing it flying low. In addition to the cell phone pinging in Penang flying low, none of this is consistent with trying to knock the passengers out. It's all consistent with trying to keep them alive because you've got a depressurized plane where you're battling the fire. She also sees it potentially um, losing altitude or trying to land in the ocean, consistent with the scenario of trying to land in the ocean there. Now, enter the videos. In the videos, we can see, and I'll go ahead and I can share my screen now. I think this is a good time to show it to people. Let me see if mine works. Uh... Right, unless you have it, we can do that too. Okay, go ahead and see if, see if it works. Let me see if I see it on my end. There we go. Okay, awesome. Okay. This is so this awesome. is the side by side. These these are two different videos. I want to point out here. Uh, the one on the right is our satellite video that was uh, released uh, a couple weeks before the drone video. 
And so also just keep in mind, these are two different videos, two different angles. One is uh, what we call the satellite video. Now, it's a little bit of a misnomer. What we've come to realize here is that we're not looking through a specific satellite. This is a computer program that pulls data from satellites all across the world. So think of it like Google Earth, but video right. playback, where you just you pull in some coordinates, which you can see here in the bottom left. Right. And then you can go look anywhere you want and, and do a playback. The can, drone, can, you get in, can you get into how you know or how you were told what's what? Like what's a, like how you know that's yeah, a satellite and the other one's We'll a get into that in a minute. I want to okay, show this awesome. first here. And then on the other one, we've got our drone. This is our MQ-1C Gray Eagle drone with a camera under the wing. It's got an aerial surveillance package, which we found pictures on the internet that they have these. Um, so a lot of this has already been kind of confirmed for the most part, uh, you know, uh, between information that we found online. But what we want is the government to confirm that that's this is what we're looking at here. Um, so we got two perfectly in sync videos right away here. This is a 777-200 consistent with Malaysian Airlines. And the, th the satellite video here, it's lighter on the top and darker on the bottom, which is consistent with Malaysian Airlines coloring, which is white on the top, gray on the bottom. The thermal is an exact overlay of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. I mean, exact overlay of it. So unless unless there's some other 777-200 that went missing in the short window of time in which these videos came out, this has to be Malaysian Airlines. Plus, these coordinates down here that uh, we can see in a higher quality individual video indicate the Nicobar Islands, the same location where Catherine T. sees this plane. And the video on the left, mm -hmm. those artifacts in green, is that the drone, pieces of the drone? Yeah, this is the drone here. So you're okay. seeing the nose of the drone. We couldn't tell. We still can't tell with certainty whether or not it's MQ-1C or an MQ-9. They both have the same body, like exact same body and exact same nose. There's also this detail of this red heat signature here because this is the brain of the drone on the inside here as well. So this is where like the computer is essentially. So this is why you see this heat seeping out of the side of it as well. Extremely realistic details for somebody to add to it to add to a fake video. Now, you can right away see the smoke trail behind the plane. Now, why is this not contrails? People might wonder, because we're seeing cumulus clouds here in the background. These cumulus clouds only form at very low altitudes, and contrails only form at very high altitudes. So this rules out contrails definitively. So then the question is, is this exhaust or is this smoke? And we can't say with absolute certainty, but given the scenario that we've kind of put forth here, it seems very likely that we're looking at smoke that's seeping out of the plane through the air conditioning exhaust ports. There's one on each side of the body of the plane. So what we imagine happening here is that that smoke from the forward cargo bay is going through the air conditioning system and then seeping out through these exhaust ports in the plane. You can kind of tell right away that they're not coming from the engines. It's kind of coming from like the body of the plane here. And you can right. see clear later on in this drone footage. Now, watch closely because also there's a mouse over here. Now, this is one of the strongest pieces of evidence. This mouse, we've been able to show is at 24 frames per second. But this background of this satellite video here is six frames per second. So why would the, some... The cursor, correct? I'm sorry. Yeah, the cursor, the mouse cursor. But it comes from a mouse, obviously. I just yeah. wanted to clear that up. I'm sorry. Just like you see with my cursor right now, yes. right? So what this is, indicates is that somebody was logged into a Citrix session. Citrix runs at 24 frames per second. So that somebody was actually in a Citrix session, logged into the actual database where they have this Google Earth video playback system and, and taking a recording of this, a screen recording. And the way we know that too is the mouse comes from off the screen in the top right. And it goes off the screen later on in the bottom left. What does that mean? means the real field of view that they're looking at is wider than what they're showing us here. And why is that important? Because the drone is just cropped out of screen, off screen. 
probably right where my mouse is, if you can see my mouse up here. So the right. drone, they intentionally cropped it out the screen. Now, this is important because this satellite video was the first one that was released. So you could actually argue that they were potentially never even planning on releasing the drone video. And they were trying to minimize the damage to U.S. intelligence. They were trying to, to, to crop out the assets that were in the area so that if this did leak or whatever, that people wouldn't, uh, you know, other countries wouldn't know exactly what was going on. They were giving us the minimum amount of information to yeah, they were trying solve to this mystery, right? Absolve themselves of it. Yes. And that will become important later on when we talk about the person who leaked these, who we think we found. Um, so let's uh, kind of move forward a little bit here. Right away, you're going to see this orb come flying in from the side of the screen. Look how fast that thing's flying in here. Right. And it shoots past the plane. This thing's going at like 2,000 miles an hour. We've estimated that because this plane is descending and turning. And it's maxing out the capabilities of a 777-200 while in descent, while turning. So this is a very difficult detail to include in there as well as to fake the speed of the plane and its accurate capabilities of a 777. Um, several people who've tried to recreate this have completely failed to do this part. Um, and, and as well as the turn of it as well. This is not easy to fake this exactly like this because you have to know exactly what those capabilities of a 777-200 are and then scale them down into two different videos to be perfectly accurate. Um, so the, the orb shoots past it and comes back around. And you can see right away, it doesn't quite lock on and then it finds its location and now it's circling the, the, the plane correctly. And the second one shoots up from the water right near this cloud and shoots through the cloud and right away, it's already forming a triangle formation. Right away. It's like it's finding its location and getting into location into the spot. Now, this is some of the creepiest part because this is consistent with electrical engineering and science that's been out there, um, which is they're starting to form a 120-degree sinusoidal pattern. Uh, people have argued that they're both, they're both attracting to one another and potentially the center of the plane and uh, repelling one another at the same time. Like the a third... Yes, exactly like a magnet. It's really exactly like a magnet. And now you see there's three. Once they all get in, they lock in and they start mapping the plane here. They're rotating around the plane. They are clearly doing something, right? And I think we would argue that they're both probably mapping it and preparing it for what's about to happen. In the drone video, look at these trails. These trails are actually, it's a little bit misleading. They're not behind the orbs. They're in front of the orbs. They're pulling them forward here. And you can already see right away there's a heat signature in these orbs, right? There's a heat signature on one side of the orb. This is the topological monopole. So this is indicating that there's something going on inside of this orb. And what we're seeing here is a, a non-radiating barrier, a field, like an energy field around the orbs. And this explains how they're able to ignore gravity, is that they're completely displaced from space-time. So once you're displaced from space-time, you have no mass, and now you're not affected by gravity at all. That's how they're just able to float, how they're able to move as fast as they're able to move. But that's not enough. They also need to be able to pull forward. And so they also have this geodesic, which is a, like basically creating their own gravity. And it's kind of hard to see. It's very faint in this video, but it's in front of them. And so then what's happening is they're moving forward, and that's how it looks like it's behind them because it's actually leaving uh, this cold trail that we can actually probably visually see as well if we were there. And we're not 100% sure, but we think we could. Um, this has been explained several different ways. Uh, a pulse-induced laser, a vibrational pulse laser, creating a, a um, high-frequency gravitational wave. Or this, there's this idea where it's just like creating space, like space-time itself in front of the orb, 
which then is kind of expanding out and therefore just like thermodynamics would be very cold. Right. And, and then ideally, or I guess what would happen is like, you know, the particles air would kind of flow back into there to heat it back up again. But we don't really see that happen very quickly. So we can't say exactly with certainty because I've never seen any videos like this before. But the engineers and physicists that I talk to say that this is consistent with what you'd expect from science. And I've never seen anything like this. So if somebody faked this, how did they come up with this? And how did they make it exactly consistent with what real uh, theoretical science says that it should act? Bob Lazar talks about. People He's always bring up Bob Lazar. Yes. Yeah, now, in my mind, characteristics. Yeah. What we're t what we're looking at here, though, is we're not looking at uh, beans that are flying in these orbs. I mean, this pattern is far too exact, right? This isn't like something that's just floating around it. Like this is a computer program running something here. Um, it's been mapped out. And when I said sinusoidal, sinusoidal basically just means like a perfect wave function. So if this was beans in there, they wouldn't be this precise. Uh, so I think that this is something that like a, a AI quantum computer or something like that is running a program here that's mapping this plane. Um, and as I'll reveal later on, I don't think we're looking at aliens here. I think we're looking at, uh, I just think we're looking at Lockheed Martin technology. I think this is technology that humans have and the fire scenario indicates what we'd be doing here, right? This is some type of rescue attempt, or you could argue espionage. Now, we can see this heat signature in the thermal on the left, right, at the belly of the plane. This is not the backwards engine. First of all, it's not the right shape and size of the engine. Second of all, the plane's turning to the left, so the other engine's actually uh, uh, obfuscated by the, the body of the plane here. So we're actually looking at what we think is the AC vents underneath the plane. There's one on each side spewing the smoke. And you can see the smoke right here. I mean, and you can see it cooling down, right? It's very hot comes out, it's cooling down here. And this is not coming from the engine here. We don't see anything right behind the engine here, right? So this is, in my mind, 100% certainty what we're looking at here, I think, is smoke coming from the body of the plane that's coming out through the plane. Um, here we can see this non-radiating barrier here, right? This has been called the Thor's hammer, which Bob Greenier, one of the scientists that I spoke to, says that this is consistent with the like ball lightning experimental uh, experiments that he's been conducting, but on a, a much larger scale, and that these could be self-sustaining objects that can be out there for days on end, um, could be deployed, etc. Now, because we see that geodesic in front of it, in my mind, there has to be something inside of here, something mechanical that's creating a barrier around it. These barriers are also huge. This is like 50 feet in diameter here. So I think there's much something much smaller in here creating a barrier. I also think that they're using superconductivity, room temperature superconductivity that enables these effects to happen. And really what room temperature superconductivity leads to is essentially free energy, fusion power, everything you could think of as magic, force fields, cloaking. Um, and then, of course, what we're about to see here, which is macroscopic phase conjugation. So let's watch this video play out. Now, I want to point out right before we let this play out, on the left, the video is zoomed in. So they've zoomed in on it. They're like, they know they're getting ready for something to happen here. And what you're going to see happen is they zoom out right before this event happens. Like they know something's going to occur. Let's watch. Oh, yeah. And then lastly, on the right, the orbs have now changed orientation. You can see that the orbs are actually circling around the plane like a ring now. Before they were mapping it, now they're in a ring formation. Poof. Oh, shit. So... All of a sudden, plane is gone. Smoke trail stops entirely, just stops dead in its tracks. The event here, you can see, 
completely encompasses the plane. There's even a little ring, a cold ring in the thermal. Uh, and people will ask, well, why is it white in this one? Well, this would be a false color IR. And the purpose of the false color IR is not thermal vision, right? So this is more so if, if you look at SIBRS, Space Space Infrared System, it's for missile detection, uh, tracking boats, planes, uh, other stuff like that. So it's not going to be set up in a color spectrum where they're trying to get intelligence about the, the heat. That's the purpose of this camera and the drone video, which is another IR camera uh, by Raytheon, but they've added the rainbow palette over the top of it. And that's why we see it in this color here. And that's also why the quality is a little bit worse. When we look at these clouds in the background, they're not, not as high quality. If we were to look at them in, in the true infrared, we imagine there would be much higher quality that we would be seeing, but it would be black and white. The reason why you add these thermal layers is for like what we're seeing here, to show this orb stuff uh, much more clearly. Because otherwise, it would be very hard to see these heat signatures and stuff like that if we were looking at it in black and white. So, and there was, where was the, I had it. It's hard to get it on the right frame. So let me switch over to the other video real quick. Yeah, because it happens so quickly. It's just yeah. like, bam. Like so the, the full thermal video actually has afterwards in slow-mo. We didn't add this. This was actually built into the video that was posted online where they zoom in and show you the orbs. And you can see this non-radiating barrier very clearly here. Where there's this is a bubble, pretty much. And then they go off now and they do a slow-mo. Now, right here, the orbs are now reorienting themselves. This is why all of a sudden the heat signatures disappear. It took me months to realize this. But what you'll see is the it looks like the heat signatures disappear and then they reappear. And you'll watch it. Boom. Now they reappeared. So they reoriented themselves. And now what are they doing? They're converging on the plane. And their monopoles, I believe, are circling now to towards the center. They're inducing the singularity, just like if you were to take magnets and jam them together where, you know, it's going to cause this repulsion effect. But they're doing that like times a million, right? So what we think is happening here is this is how they're able to essentially break through the fabric of space-time and create what I can only describe as possibly like a wormhole effect where this plane is now able to quantum teleport somewhere else. We think on the planet Earth, but there really is very little limitations. This thing could teleport to the future. It could teleport to uh, another galaxy, even another dimension. I don't know if you believe in stuff like string theory. But the most logical place, given the scenario that we've put forth, is probably somewhere near the Maldives where this plane gets seen by 20 islanders. Um, now, we don't know with the certainty at this point because we don't have two high-quality videos on the other side. But that's how fast, in the blink of an eye, these orbs reorient it. They, they collapse on the plane. plane disappears. This is a lot of detail to add into a fake video. <laughs> Right, this is a lot of work to come up with this. You can't just create a, pr a program to do all this stuff for you. All this would have had to been done manually by hand. There's not a single discrepancy on either of these videos on a single frame. I think the most reason why people have a hard time believing is this is because they just don't think this science can be real. If they thought the science could be real, I think that nobody would question the authenticity of these videos whatsoever. People are simply told that media says this can't be true. I don't have scientific papers that are out there that can't be true. Well, the thing I would ask those people is how far advanced do you think the military is? A lot of people say that they're 25 years more advanced than the public. I would say it's probably more like 50 or 100 years, given this type of technology. Do you um, know, but, do you know uh, who Ben Rich is? Yes, I do. Do you know uh, the, the comment that he made? The technology to take ET home. 
I thought, used to think he was joking when he said that. Yeah. And now I go, holy crap. And what was he in charge of? Uh, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. And I'm sitting here saying these are Lockheed Martin orbs as well. So I absolutely believe that what he said is true. And I think that it goes to show how easy it is for the media to lie to people, how easy it is for the government to lie to people. People don't want to believe this stuff to be true. And if they don't want to be able to believe it to be true, they won't. Even if you have people literally in charge of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works going, we have this technology to take ET home. They just go, oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it's like, well, here you go. Watch and learn. Seeing is believing right here. Oof. And in that final frame, you see that? The plane blurs right here. Look at that. Yeah. It's And it's getting pulled backwards as well. We've right. done, we've got the video where you can actually sh see that in the next frame, you'll be able to see the tail sticking out, but it's going to be back here. Like it's creating a singularity that's pulling the plane backwards into it. The orbs are flattened here, like gravitational lensing occurring because the, the electromagnetic field is already developing around the azimuth, which would be like, think of like a circle connecting these orbs around here. That you can't and, see, right? Circle that we can't see, exactly, but that is kind of developing right there. And then the plane's blurring because it's accelerating. The same reason why if you were to try to take a picture of somebody sprinting, right? How it's going to look blurry, Right. And it's actually a little bit smaller than the frame before as well, where you could argue it's like a warping effect essentially that's happening or that the mass reduction is already beginning. The same way where the orbs have mass reduction, you know, this if this creates a bubble around the plane, that's, I mean, from, from a time perspective, it's going to be instantaneous to us. From the people inside, they could even be stuck in superposition, but wherever they show up, it's going to seem like it was instantaneous to them. But from the outside perspective, they could show up even in the future, even in the future from now. I mean, we happen to think that they, you know, didn't show up like they're, we're not waiting for them to show up now. But, you know, theoretically, science says that's possible. Time dilation is a real thing. So in the next frame right here, you can see the tail of the plane sticking right out of the out of this thing in the very first frame right there. Why can't I pause it? Hello. There. See the tail right here and the wing. So this plane got sucked backwards into this. And then in the very next frame, it gets cold encompassed. Now, this is the frame where people say this matches some pyromania VFX that's out there, the debunkers say. First of all, it doesn't match. It's really not even that close when you overlay it, but people have used a lot of deceptive tactics to trick people out there. So they've tried to modify it and then they won't show you that like, They'll try to line up the edge, but they won't show you that, oh, that makes the middle not match anymore. And then they'll they use all this deceptive stuff out there. The reality is if somebody was going to put a VFX in here, they would just put it in there. They're not going to painstakingly move around every pixel until it gets to match. It would have to be a 100% match. So even to this day, all you have to say for everybody out there who wants to debunk the debunkers, just say how many pixels match. It's the only thing you have to say. Literally not one single human being has answered the question today or not to, as of this point, not one human being on the face of this planet. Because anybody who were to answer the question would have to, to admit that they don't match. And that's why they won't answer the question. Instead, they'll just say, well, that's not fair, blah, 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 or just any number of lazy excuses uh, out there. And I have several other videos I can show that prove that they don't match. And this is the only frame where it's even remotely close. None of the other frames on that visual effect are even remotely close. Um, and so clearly what happened was somebody ran a program to try to find something that was similar. And then they just lied to everybody and said, oh, well, this one frame is similar. Therefore, this must be the effect. Like, that's not how any of this works. Um, Weren't they trying to compare this to like a video game? Something. Yeah, like that's what I'm talking about. So here, I'll show you. Let's break that down for your, your viewers. So here is the one frame overlaid. 
right here. Oh, wait, that's that's the full one. That's not the one I want to show right away. Well, okay, let's just show this one. This is fine. Okay, so this is the whole VFX overlaid. Okay, so, right. and we just looked at the, the real deal, right? So this is the right. VFX overlay. So first of all, here's the one frame. And right yeah, away, we can tell it's match. not the same. It doesn't yeah, match. It doesn't it's as close. Like the edge is, the, clearly they've, they've resized it to try to get the edge to match, but even the edge isn't a perfect match. You've got extra dots here as well that don't exist all throughout this thing. So what the person deleted all these for, for what reason? Why would they do that? People say, oh, well, they'll just change it to black. Even if you change it to black, this part still doesn't match. The middle still doesn't match. So even if you change it to black, you still are way off. And then, they're like, oh, well, they changed all that too. How did they change all that? They didn't have anything to compare it to. Why? They wouldn't do that. For this to match, it would just change it to black, and then it would have to be this exact same effect with all the dots in the exact same spots. It would be an exact overlay, right? There's not in this idea where they changed part of it. And this is why, again, I say that only thing you have to say to debunk these people is say how many pixels match, right? Because if you were really do a pixel by pixel match here, including the fact that the background is blue here, um, it would be a very small percentage of the pixels even matching. And it's not even the right color. This effect that we're seeing here is an explosion. And our effect in the background is an endothermic event. That's why it's cold. It's an absorption of energy versus an explosion of energy. It turns out that all... Um, all dispersion patterns like this is what we call these are all similar. And that's the reason why they're able to get the edges to be a similar match. And we've been able to show that with another similar video. So Whoa. the Taylor set off blast waves. You see, this is just a dispersion effect. So it matches supernovas. So somebody went here and actually showed that we can do the same thing with a bunch of different effects. Look, perfect match along the edge. Because again, you're just taking a blast wave and you're just showing matching a blast wave to a blast wave, essentially, right? So again, we can get it to perfect match with our own things as well. Here's more examples of them. Uh, and here's another one where they take this blast wave that we just saw there and they get it to match as well. So there's a lot of different things that we could use to, to match like this. It doesn't mean just because two things are similar. And here's another one. Just because two things are similar does not mean that they are a match and that's not doesn't mean that's what's used. And so just to do the final nail in the coffin on this, which I've done several times, look here, look at the subsequent frames. This frame's not even close. These frames are not even remotely similar, right? Like, how did they change all this? <laughs> no chance. Right. They like removed all this stuff, made it completely different. So, you know, this came from a guy named Mick West, who's a notorious delusional debunker, right? This guy thinks that every single thing out there is balloons or seagulls or just all kinds of nonsense. I don't think people even realize um, that all the stuff comes from him. And it goes to show the power of disinformation in general is that people just adopt other people's beliefs as their own. Even the corridor crew, which is just like a couple of idiots on a couch where like they've got six million uh, followers or whatever, like people don't even realize that they just stole Mick West's debunk and they claimed it as their own. And so people link me these guys videos and go, oh, the corridor crew debunked this. And I just laugh because I'm like, they don't even have an original thought in their head. Like they're just literally taking somebody else's beliefs that they never even looked at and just perpetuating disinformation on their own channel. And it goes to show how easy it is to hide stuff like this, right? Um, you know, all you have to do is spread it on a big platform and people repeat the lies and people believe the lies, just like they believe that a plane can crash into the South Indian Ocean without leaving a debris field. It's not possible. The effect that we're looking at there is not in our videos. That's just a, a fact, regardless of whether or not people think it is, it, it's not. Um, and so, I, you know, I think the other thing that I want to say real quick, too, and I'll let you jump in with some questions, is that 
uh, to really pr to drive this uh, home, I posted a picture or a video of the SpaceX Falcon landing rocket launch. And I asked people, is this real or is this fake? And when you look at it, it looks super fake because things that are super high quality and produced whatever in terms of like high quality cameras have a tendency to look fake. The vast majority of people, even people that, you know, support the case and what have you, all thought the videos were fake. Turns out, nope, those are real videos of the Falcon launch or Falcon landing, like just really high quality. And it looks like CGI. The vast majority of people cannot tell the difference between CGI and reality. That's just really interesting to me in general. Yeah, I mean, even with AI becoming the thing du jour now, it's even hard to tell the difference between fakes and reels. Um, and that's why these videos are so important, too, is that these videos we've proven go back to 2014. Not only do we have the way back Internet archives, not, um, but we also have people that saw them, including myself, which if I hadn't seen one of the videos back then, I probably wouldn't be kind of all in on them. Uh, but we've also even found like old social media threads and, and Twitter posts that reference the videos as well. So we know without any shadow of doubt that from 2014, which is years before commercial AI and even deep fake technology was out there. Um, because after that point, sure, I'd say, okay, it'd be a lot easier to make these using AI nowadays, right? But in 2014, without AI, this is a huge amount of work. Like this, this is like movie studio quality work. And this movie studio's CGI is the hardest part. I hear people constantly say, oh, I could have made that. I could have made that. I even had Tim Poole tell me that he could make that. Total bullshit. He couldn't make these videos. <laughs> no chance in hell. He tried to make these videos. They're going to look fake as hell. And everybody who's tried, they've looked really fake. So, um, you know, it, people love to overestimate their skills and overestimate their talents. Just writing the storyboard for that video would take days. And I know because I've written storyboards for one minute long, just little speeches that I do. Right. And those take hours. So to come up with this whole storyboard and just creating the program where we see the coordinates, I want to show you this as well real quick. Yeah, please. Um, the Universal Dialect Show will return. But first, a word from our sponsor. In a world where style knows no boundaries, where self-expression reigns supreme, there is Arise Creations. Introducing Arise Creations, the ultimate destination for fashion-forward individuals seeking affordable, unisex apparel that caters to every unique style. Arise Creations brings you an exceptional collection of unisex fashion essentials. From trendy tops that blend style and comfort to versatile bottoms and footwear that add an extra layer of sophistication. We've got you covered from head to toe. Arise Creations is more than just a clothing line. We strive to create an inclusive space where everyone can find fashionable and affordable pieces that reflect their unique personality. With indelible designs, we ensure that anyone can confidently wear our products, breaking down barriers while embracing individuality. But that's not all. Arise Creations is proud to be affiliated with the Universal Dialect Show, a groundbreaking podcast that explores the worlds of music, paranormal, art, fashion, and beyond. Join the conversation on YouTube, BitChute, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. 
Arise Creations is committed to making fashion accessible to all. We believe that styles should know no bounds and everyone deserves to feel confident and empowered in what they wear. With our affordable prices and diverse product range, we're here to help you unleash your true self. Come and unleash your style and embrace your individuality. Arise Creations, where fashion meets affordability and self-expression. Please visit our website today to explore our collection and be a part of the fashion revolution. Arise Creations and the Universal Dialect Show, empowering you to create your own destiny. Head to www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations. 73. Again, that's www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Arise Creations. So that's A-R-I-S-E-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S, the number seven and the number three. And bring your look to new heights. Um, so and I also is, wanted you yeah, to show ahead. if you could like the, because I know that you had put a video about the flight path and then the description oh, sure. between the flight path. We can we can do that, please. Yeah. So in the bottom left here, you can see these coordinates very clearly. And it says NRL 22. NRL 22 is actually the first satellite to go into space for the SIBRS program, space-based infrared system. So I think that's a pretty big coincidence that the very first satellite launch for this computer system that we're looking at is literally listed in the bottom left. The coordinates are accurate to six decimal places. That's the exact same amount of decimal places on Google Earth. If you were to punch these in, you'd find out that that's the Nicobar Islands in the bottom left. Um, and, it, and they move accurately when the screen gets moved around as well. So someone would have had to create a separate program for those coordinates mapped out in their storyboard where this is supposed to be and built that into their fake video as well. To me, I mean, that alone proves the videos are real, but you've got people out there. No, I don't think anyone's even addressed that today. Nobody, like most of the evidence and stuff that I put forth, people literally won't even address it. They just talk past me and they try to come up with reasons why, oh, well, I, that could make that, that'd be easy, that'd be fake. Nobody even addresses the evidence that I put forth. That's just kind of the state that we're in right now in terms of you know how badly people don't want to believe. Um, now, what was the thing you wanted me to show? Sorry. Oh, let me show this yeah. the Sibbers video real quick as well. Yes, yeah. it's important. So this is from Lockheed Martin's website. Okay, I didn't even think this would be out there. Look at these satellites. Look at this. They're scanning the world persistently. Right in the beginning, if I had the sound on, it says global persistent uh, infrared surveillance is a key to national defense or something like that. And you can see how huge these scans are. They're scanning the world 24-7. So what they're doing here is they're creating and they're sending this data to ground-based computers that are building the Google Earth video playback in real time. And I'm sure they're saving the data too so that you can pull it back up anytime you want. So you can recreate the, you can go look up anywhere you want, track objects, see what was going on. I mean, it's a perfect spy system here. They've got a scanner and a tracker cameras on these satellites as well. And here's another little image of it showing us the scanning. And then it goes back into the, the full world scans here. And this doesn't even show the low Earth orbit satellites. They also have something called Sibbers Low, 
which has at least 24 low Earth orbit satellites. USA-229 is one of them that was right above the Andaman Sea when this plane supposedly turned in the South Indian Ocean. So we actually have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt from looking at the trajectories, historical, uh, that the spy satellites were staring down at the plane. Like they were in the the spot. So we know the US United States knows what happened to this plane, whatever happened to it. We know they know. Um, and so again, it's just overwhelming amount of evidence that whatever narratives are out there covering up for what really happened to this plane. My favorite's the end of this though. Just look at this slogan by Lockheed Martin. It's just it's just evil. I, I don't know what, what else to come up with this. It's like when Google had their slogan, don't be evil. We never forget who we're working for. <laughs> Who do you think they're talking about there? They're not talking about the public, that's for sure. They're not, yeah, they're not working for us, I can tell you that. And and what was the date on that? 2011. Right. Right. right? That's, so that this is three the, years before their, the videos came out. They were well, already a, scanning the whole world. Yeah. Do you remember that? There's a movie with uh, uh, Will Smith and Gene Hackman. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Enemy of the State. So yes. I, somebody told me as well, because that gets brought up a lot. That the CIA and stuff saw that movie and they go, we want that technology. And I go, man, that's what I think about a lot when I think about this. Like, they actually have that. That right. movie was like the 90s, right? So that's 20 years before this. Right. Uh, they, probably so had absolutely. It. they probably had that technology yeah. during that time. They certainly do now. I'm 100% certain. In fact, when you go outside, if you if you want to say hi to the satellites, just wave up. You I know? do it all the I mean, time. I know that they're yeah. watching. <laughs> 100%. They can watch for sure if they have this type of technology. So... Um, I'll give you the visual flight path real quick. Uh, yes, where is it? Here it is. So I already kind of went through everything, but here's the plane taking off from Kuala Lumpur. It gets to the Agari waypoint. Here's where the batteries ignite. This is where Mike McKay off to the northeast over here sees the plane. This is where people on the coast hear the explosions. And what does the plane do? It turns around and goes to Penang, closest airport you would go to. Right? Suicidal scenario, you're crashing into the ocean right here, or you're proceeding forward or something. Uh, hijacking scenario, you're going somewhere else. 10 minutes after, 1730 UTC, right around here, there's another 777 pilot that hears a communication from the plane. And they don't want to be named because they don't want to lose their job because every right. single witness who said anything gets discredited and attacked. Um, and they hear either the pilot and the co-pilot and a bunch of static. There's not much more uh, news reports related to what they heard. And then here's where the fishermen... Uh, 10 miles off the coast, also see the plane flying low. Eight of them. Eight fishermen on a boat. Are they all lying? Come and make up the story. It's consistent with the flight path. Plane gets to Penang here. So this is, what, 30 minutes later? And the co-pilot cell phone pings, meaning they're below 7,000 feet, where you could have a cell phone ping the cell tower here. So they're flying low. We know they're flying low. Uh, down here, we think they're flying low as well because we have that witness. So this none of this is consistent with them trying to knock the passengers out. Like, this is all consistent with trying to keep the passengers alive. And then if you're going to the South Indian Ocean, you just go down here to the Southwest, right? You would just go right down here. You don't care if Indonesia sees you on a radar. Why does that matter? And nope. But over here, here's Phuket. Here's where it's the Andaman Sea. This is where you've got your United States, Thailand, and Singapore Cope Tiger exercises going on since February. Well, where do they fly? Directly at that. <laughs> I mean, this is not where you go if you're a suicidal pilot. This is where you go if you're trying to get help from the military. So we think that this is then where they're rendezvousing with military assets. The drone was not following the plane. The drone intercepts the plane over here. This is where Catherine T is. The woman I said on her boat, she's going to Phuket over here. She gets there a couple days later. She does a report, her sighting, etc. 
she's in the exact right location. Like she can't have not seen the plane. Like everybody agrees the plane went here. And then the narrative is that it flew down here to the south, into the South Indian Ocean. But if you look at the Subang air traffic control from March 8th, 2024, the very next morning, they say they lost contact with the plane at 1840 UTC. That's the same time that Catherine T sees the plane. That's the same time we think the videos are taken. That's also the same time that there was a Chinese-only reported Mayday call. Only reported in China news. Western media doesn't pick, up, pick it up at all. At 2.43 a.m., which you convert that to Malaysian time, is 18.43 UTC. Supposedly intercepted from the Thai embassy by China, saying from Malaysian Airlines, saying that the plane was disintegrating and an attempting emergency landing. So we've got a mayday call that corroborates what the witness sees, which also corroborates two perfectly in sync videos of a fire event and the plane trying to land in the ocean. I mean, what more do you need? I can convict somebody of murder with this with this evidence, right? Like, in fact, people get convicted of murder with far less evidence than this yeah. all yeah. the time, right? All the time. Even Alex Murdoch, he didn't have any videos of him killing his wife and child. They just had a, a phone recording that showed that he was lying about where he was at a specific time and they convicted him on the circumstantial evidence. Well, I'd like to convict the United States government here, my own government. They're lying about this plan. They know what happened. And I think they're directly implicated in it because MQ1C Gray Eagles, they're, they're drone. They're filming on in this footage before these orbs ever show up. They're already staring at the plane, right? They know something's about to happen here. They, you know, if you were to like watch somebody, if you were to look at a video of somebody filming a murder, you would assume they're implicated in it, right? Like, especially if they don't say anything about it and then you find the video, you'd be like, no, those are the people that did it, right? And again, when we look at the drone video, they're zooming in on it. It's like they're preparing. They know something's about to go down. So to me, I don't think we're looking at aliens here. Although what I will say, and this is what I've told the AARO who contacted me, and really anybody else I can speak to, I've tried to get this in front of Congress, is that I think this proves there's a reverse engineering program. Because in my mind, humanity can't be this secretly advanced without some help. And I think that that help would have come from UFOs that we either found on the planet or crashed on the planet. I don't know. I don't actually even really care that much. You know, alien life, I think is cool if aliens exist. I think that there's probably life out there. Absolutely. But it doesn't change my day to day. What changes my day-to-day -day is superconductivity, <laughs> changing the planet, room temperature superconductivity, teleportation technology, uh, the ability to change the circumstances of basically every homeless person, every hungry person on this planet Correct. with free energy. Right, That's what I care about. And I care about the families who are lied to. These people, people think they're like, oh, you're hurting the families. Uh, I guarantee you I'm not. The families, I've got recordings of basically every family member, some of them going on CNN, saying that the official narratives are all a lie. I've got one of Sandra uh, Block, or uh, butcher her last name. It's like B-A-J-C, or B-A-J-C. I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, Bach, maybe. But she was the girlfriend of Philip Wood, the adult American passenger on board the plane. And she goes on CNN like over a month later. And she's going, this plane didn't crash into the South Indian Ocean. And I'm going, wow, okay. So she knew it was BS. And everybody thinks they're just like in distress and denial, right? But no, they were actually in the know. And they realized that what was being pushed in the media was BS. Now, I think the sad part is they didn't realize it was a fire because if they had been able to promote the fire scenario early on, I think people would have caught on to it. That's why you don't see like any reporting about the fire scenario because it's a very, very plausible event. And then if it is a fire, why are you covering it up? That's a pretty basic thing, right? 
Well, the answer is because they made up this whole fake story about going to the South Indian Ocean. The plane on fire is not going to last for eight hours. It can last to the Nicobar Islands an hour later, but it's not going to last for eight hours. So the only reason why you'd cover it up, the videos that we're seeing, right? Advanced technology that cannot be revealed to the public because it's national defense. And that's what all my FOIAs have been rejected for. They've all been rejected out of the interest of national defense and foreign policy. And why the heck would United States FOIAs, where we supposedly have nothing to do with this plane going missing, why would those be getting rejected out of the interest of national defense? Well, if there's orbs teleporting a plane, that's one pretty damn good reason, if you ask me. Right. All right. So let me start off by saying this. Awesome stuff, Ashton. Great research. Like, honestly, it is. Uh, it's very detailed. And unless somebody comes up with something better than yours that refutes what you're, which I doubt, but it's possible. Anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're doing is incredible. Um, we had a conversation before I even hit record, and it was about the fact that when I first saw this happen, I followed what the mainstream media said, just like everybody else. And that, and that was it. It was dead. They didn't really talk about it after a few months. It was gone. Um, but the new me, like a year and a half ago, I realized that you can't trust anything that they say. And so I remember seeing the documentary on Netflix first before I saw you do your talk on a bunch of different platforms. Yeah. And I realized that in that documentary, just like how you found out while you were doing your research and their investigation, essentially they're just throwing stuff at us to get us all confused. And then eventually they realize that we're just going to give up because it's just too much to process. Like what happened here? This person's not saying this interviews, you know, like, you know, like you said, they're like SNL interviews. It's, it's crazy. So we just give up. Um, have you watched the Netflix documentary and what are your thoughts on, on a Netflix documentary? Yeah, not only have I watched it, it's funny because I couldn't get through it before I saw the videos. I just thought it was so terrible. Um, It seemed like just BS start to finish. None of the people seemed very credible when I was watching it. I didn't feel like that guy, Blaine Gibson, who found the wreckage. I I didn't get a sense that he was some kind of spy or lying. Um, But I had sketchy vibes from Jeff Wise, who was trying to claim that guy was a spy and claim the plane went to Russia uh cindy hendry the woman who says oh i i saw debris in the ocean like the scale doesn't even match i've actually talked to all these people in uh since i've started this investigation and uh, pretty much confirmed uh my suspicions that they are not credible at all um definitely not cindy hendry uh her pictures aren't even close you can't just superimpose random pictures of m's into the ocean and say that that was debris. They had literally searched in the locations where she thinks that they saw the plane or the debris. It's, there was not debris there. We're looking at like white caps or something else that's completely explainable. I mean, um, no offense to her, but uh, that the idea that the plane was shot down is even more ludicrous than it crashing because if a plane was exploded in the sky, the debris field's going to be hundreds of miles wide. Yeah. There's literally no way we can miss it whatsoever. No way you could cover it up either. You can't quarantine off hundreds of miles of ocean and have no random people see it. There's boats everywhere, right? And they're not all under the thumb of the U.S. military or other military. So it's not a TWA Flight 800 situation here. Um, And then from a Jeff Wise perspective, I mean, he's just total clown shoes. The more I've looked into this guy, the more I realize he is the number one source of disinformation around MH370 on the entire planet. He's the one that promoted in the New York Post the suicidal pilot narrative. 
Mm, and he had yeah. to retract it later on because uh, they refuted the whole thing about the simulator. Like he's literally pushed all the disinformation, all the fake narratives have all basically come from him. He got kicked out of the independent group because he's the biggest clown in the whole clown show. Um, and he tried to say that the plane went to Russia, which is also nonsensical as well. First of all, Russia's not covering this up for anybody else. We are not going to cover it up for Russia. You'd have to go through like 12 different countries' radar systems to get to Russia. Um, so just doesn't make any sense at all for this plane to have gone to Russia. Um, and then this is why the Netflix documentary is so bad. So later on, I did watch it after I watched the, the videos. And that's when I realized like, holy crap, this is just a huge cover up. Like nothing, none of what these people are saying makes any sense whatsoever. The doc documentary we can make around this would be a hundred times more compelling. Everybody would want to watch it because it's a story of potentially the largest conspiracy of all time. Largest verifiable one. We've got verifiable evidence, actionable evidence. Um, so that's my, my true honest opinion about the documentary and the people that they put. The only one I respect is Florence DeChangi. And I actually have talked to her and she says that she thought that the producer was a dickhead and <laughs> that he was like super abrasive and um, that her position has been butchered. And she was apparently pretty friendly with Cindy Hendry. So they people have kind of conflated uh, Florence's position to be that she saw, thought the plane was shot down. But she's made Twitter posts in the past that, um, you know, say that she doesn't think that she was just she's a, basically looking at all alternatives but she knows also that something happened with this plane she agrees with me in terms of the united states government covering it up i don't know that she necessarily agrees of the whole teleportation scenario which is you know it's hard to believe for sure but she's not totally close-minded to it like a lot of these other independent group people are who are just full-on what i call cnn brain where like it, unless the authority tells them they just they can't believe it right um and and she's done actually a huge amount of investigative work, uh, Florence DeChangi has. And a lot of what we found corroborates with stuff that she's found, especially about the batteries and all this stuff as well. She thinks the fire scenario is pretty plausible. Um, but, you know, that, that, and that's what I like about her in general is that people who are real journalists, and there's so few out there now, you know, they don't close their mind to other alternatives. They investigate, right? They want to, they're curious that are out there. Um, so other than her, I think that that documentary was really, really bad. Um, and I hope that, that we can do a better one that does the family's justice. Yeah. The only people that I found credible in that, in that documentary were the, some of the family members, yes. particularly the pilot's wife. I think that after they kind of try to push that shit, that her husband would have been a suicidal person. I don't think she believed anything really. Um, yeah. And, and the other ones too, yeah. like, so people say, well, Ashton, they found debris, Right. So some debris washes up over a year later. The families of the Netflix documentary, if you watch it, are adamant that the debris was planted, right? Because they, yes. they know something else is wrong. And these are the same. Then I got people out there telling me, like, I'm hurting the families. The families aren't a Netflix documentary telling the world that this stuff's fake, right? I'm actually one of the few people going, no, that can actually be from MH370. If we're talking about a fire scenario, the tiny amounts of debris, there's like three pieces connected to the plane. It's less than 1% of the plane. They didn't find the plane, <laughs> This is, it. again, if a plane crashes in the ocean, it's going to crash into thousands of pieces that are going to float. And it's going to be a debris field miles wide, visible from space. That's how big a debris field would be. And we're saying that over a year later, we find a couple pieces washed up and this somehow proves that it's crashed. Not at all. Especially if the plane was on fire, pieces of debris could have fallen from it. In fact, one uh, B777 fire suppression device washed up in the Maldives. People can go look it up. Just Google it. You'll find it. 
It actually has a visible serial number on it. Gets completely ignored. I'm like, wait, it was a fire. You've got a fire suppression device washing up in the Maldives. Like, well, come on, guys, this is proof. Uh, there, there's a serial number that you could probably match to MH370 uh, on it. So, and again, we're talking about a teleportation event, uh, an event where the plane goes from one location on the planet to another location. So the debris is, does not rule out anything that I've said. In fact, we've brought in more evidence than any other theory by far to date. The only evidence that we rule out is the Immerstat pings after 1840 UTC. And I just go check those pings out, guys. These pings, the Immerstat data does not get released to the public until 2017. Do you know how it gets released to the public? It goes from Immerstat to Malaysian Airlines to a family member. And the family member gives it on a flash drive to a blogger, Victor Ilanello. Does that sound like a good chain of custody for trying to tell the truth three years after the event? What should have happened is Immerstat should have released it to the public on March 9th, 2014, so that everybody could look at the data themselves. And now I'm looking at other reports saying that people have proven the other Immersat data is false, that planes were on the ground and they've got fake pings showing the plane in the air of other planes, right? So nobody's corroborated this Immersat data whatsoever. And every single person's theories that think the plane went to the South Indian Ocean is based on this data, which wouldn't be a big deal if they found the plane, but it's 10 years later and they found nothing. So just to reiterate, this is the largest, most expensive search in history. Nobody finds it. And then Blaine Gibson's on the hanging out. He's an expatriate, which means a guy living overseas. And he starts finding debris, you know, uh, on the, on the, on the, uh, I'm sorry, on the beach. A couple pieces of the debris that they find even have clear burn marks and scorch marks on them. I was arguing with uh, Mike Exner. He's on this independent group with Victor. And he's going, no, they did lab tests on that. And they said it's resin. <laughs> talking about resin i can look at this piece of debris and i could tell there's scorch marks on it like you know these circular kind of burn mark patterns all over it i'm going this is clearly pieces of debris that were on fire it's not resin <laughs> what does that even mean uh and, and the other pieces of debris from the ocean are like perfectly clear and clean as well i don't know right. this That's idea of how does it get resin on it what are we talking about <laughs> people just got to think critically man it's like we're not smoking smoking the bong and having resin get on our plane parts here um so yeah i just wish that some of these uh quote-unquote experts which i don't know how is somebody an expert at a mysterious plane going missing but i wish that they would just think like common sense, use logic and reason, stop trying to discount every witness that clearly saw the same event and put way less faith in uh, Immerstadt, who's connected to intelligence, by the way, British intelligence. Like they, they shouldn't be putting faith in 10 rows of XL data. 10 rows of XL data are the difference between this plane going to the South Indian Ocean and not. I got you, brother. So um, the video got leaked. Let's talk about how it yeah. got leaked. The individual who leaked it, if you got in contact with him at all, yeah. uh, I believe his name is Regicide. I believe that's how it all started. Um, so, yeah, the earliest video is that satellite video that we saw. Then uh, we've been able to post that back to the Wayback Machine from an account called Regicide Anon. Their YouTube account's been deleted, and uh, we can only find it on the Wayback Machine. It did get internet archived. And on this description, it says, received March 12th, 2014. That's four days after the plane went missing. If they are not lying, then these videos are 100% authentic. No one's faking these videos before we even have it. We even, no one, everyone, and four days afterwards, people are still looking at the South China Sea. 
Like they're not looking in the Nicobar Islands, right? right? So what, that means these videos are authentic unless Regicide Anon was lying right off the bat. Um, in there, it also says source protected. We looked at the other videos that Regicide Anon uploaded, other random UFO videos. They say like email submission and stuff like that. For some reason, the videos don't get published until May 19th, 2014, which is over eight weeks later. You could argue that the person that leaked these to them had to convince Regicide Anon that the videos were authentic. We're very certain at this point the videos showed up on a UFO forum and that a bunch of people pulled them off the forum, including Regicide Anon as well. And this is because there's other versions that were uploaded by other people later on that were higher quality. You can't make a lower quality video from a higher quality or make a higher quality video from a lower quality video. Correct. So this would indicate that Regicide Anon was not the original source of these videos. And so May 19th, the first one leaks. Two weeks later, June 15th, the second video, the drone video we were looking at, it has a received date, June, June 5th, 2014, published date, June 12th, 2014. So they didn't wait very long to publish the second video. Um, and this would also indicate there's like a, a very specific timeline on this, right? They first video goes out, okay, didn't get any traction, dropped the second video, the one where the drone was cropped out. Right now, show us that drone that's cropped out. Um, so from just all the evidence that we've looked at, just looking at the videos, you can glean a lot of information. And so I was think sitting there thinking one day and I go, wow, I, you know, this person's probably a U.S. military personnel who leaked this. They're probably an operator of the drone because they knew how to put the rainbow palette on this FLIR footage. They might have had an emotional reaction because Regicide Anon says received March 12th or March 12th, which is just four days after the event. So, you know, if you have this kind of footage, this is hot footage. You're talking about going to prison over this footage. Like you got to right. get it out there, right? They removed the HUD data as well. They cropped the drone out of the satellite video. So to me, I'm looking at this, I'm going, huh, this seems like somebody who's like a patriot, somebody who doesn't want to leak as much damaging information. Like a spy wouldn't do all this stuff, right? They would put as much damaging U.S. intelligence in there as possible. And they probably wouldn't leak it to the public either. They'd probably just give it to China or Russia, right? Correct. Um, so it seems like somebody who wanted us to solve the mystery without giving us more information than we needed. Uh, they might have also thought they were looking at UFOs later to be revealed to be U.S. technology. Because the video, Regicide's video says, satellite video, airliner, and UFOs. That's the name of the video. It doesn't even say MH370 in it. Now, I think the metadata we've been able to show does have a tag of MH370 in it. So there is evidence that they knew right away that this was MH370, but they didn't make it available like in the description. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking around going, okay, I think I have a profile for who did this. Uh, first thing I realized is that you can't hide military charges against military members um, unless you're in martial law, which we were not in martial law, at least right. not yet. Um, so I knew that the charges would have to be out there. So I searched everyone that was charged with espionage, will for attention to classified information and national security secrets. And I was going to give up. It took me like two weeks. I looked up all the big name people that you probably have heard of, the Chelsea Mannings, the Edward Snowden, stuff like that, right? Nobody was even close. None of their profiles close at all. And I started doing date range searches, like, you know, a few years. I figured it probably would have caught them and charged them within like a year or two. Um, it wouldn't have been fast, but they, they might have suspected right away, especially because of the Citrix session. Those Citrix sessions are logged. So I knew this person would have been caught 100%. Because they weren't filming this on like their camera, 
Like it wasn't like a situation where you're filming it like this, right? It was right. a situation where they were using a screen recording. So they were logged into a computer. They're going to get caught. And then I find Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn. This is the guy. 100% sure. Uh, you know, in my mind, at least, I would say just realistically 99.9% .9 sure. First of all, every single article about him is all obfuscated. Like, oh, he was charged with prostitution and weird stuff that they tacked on there. Every article mentions signals intelligence, which is how all these assets are communicating to one another called SIGINT. And he was uh, part of the VPU-2, the special secret spy plane uh, squadron. Flew in the Lockheed Martin EP-3 Ares-2, which has real-time tactical SIGINT and full motion video intelligence. He was actually the guy that would report back up to like the generals and stuff about you know what they're seeing on the battlefield and things like that. The code name for the charges against him were Rogue Archer. His last deployment was February 2014 to March 2016, but he gets reassigned March 25th. This is just narrows the, win the, the time frame down to right around the plane disappearing, like within one month. The investigation began April 2nd, and then in May... He accidentally left two flight manifests in his flight suit from a deployment that included search and rescue code names. Okay. To me, that's just a bingo right there, right? What other search and rescue was there? In fact, that was the theme of the Cope Tiger exercises, search and rescue. He might have been part of the exercises for all we know. All right. In fact, that's something I didn't even consider until just now. Um, so he could have been manning the drone. He could have been manning the drone. He was probably on the spy plane and the spy plane people on the spy plane were potentially manning the drone. We found that the different cameras on the drones, one of them can be operated by people on the ground. Other ones can be operated by people in the spy planes. The Netflix documentary, the French dad was told the Americans know what happened in the plane. There was two AWACS in the area. He could have been on one of those AWACS in the area. Catherine T also saw two other planes at cruising altitude with the navigation lights on while she's staring at MH370. Those could have been the AWACS as well. Um, Here's the real kicker. The defense argued during the trial that the classified information in question is available on the internet. I mean, bingo, right? There's two charges, two pieces of classified information. They end up having to admit that this wasn't really a spy case. This was the first case of espionage against an active duty member of the Navy since the end of the Cold War. And they tried to put him in charges would have uh, been life in prison. They threw the book at this guy. And now you think about the scenario here, right? Where he thinks he's looking at UFOs. This dude wasn't a traitor. He was just trying to tell the truth of what happened in this plane. They were throwing the book at him because he's revealing their Lockheed Martin orbs, revealing their spy satellite capabilities. You know, this stuff is like the cl most closely guarded secrets. They tried to prove that he was a spy and do a sting operation on him, but they ended up having to admit that there was no evidence that he exchanged any information with anyone from China because he wasn't a spy. He wasn't trying to inf exchange information with anyone from China. Um, and so in the end, he had, they force him into a plea deal. They abuse him while he's in prison. He they won't let him out of pretrial detainment either because he would have talked to the media, right? Like they were they were afraid he's going to talk to the media because right. he could just spill the beans, right? So they kept him in pretrial detainment for six over six hundred and forty six days, almost two years. They wouldn't let him out, and then they force him into a plea deal. They abused him while he's in prison. They had uh, leadership and this goon squad, uh, you know, putting him out in the cold and ruffling his cell, taking information from him because they didn't want him to leak anything, right? They were probably super afraid. And uh, he ends up working with the NCIS and the FBI for a reduced sentence. He takes a plea deal. Nine years he gets for the plea deal. 
I mean, there's people that only got nine years with no plea deal being found guilty of crimes like this. And there's only for two charges of uh, disseminating classified information. That's what he ended up getting stuck with. All oh, they dropped everything else related to him. So for two charges of classified information, it's nine years. And they shaved off three years for working with the FBI and NCIS, which makes sense. They probably want to figure out who he gave the information to, where, what what forums he posted the information to, right? Um, and they realized that he was a guy that before this, like he was somebody that they... He had worked with like congressional aides. Like this guy was on the up and up, right? He was a naturalized U.S. citizen. He was, they trusted him with nukes. Like this was a guy who was an absolute patriot. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to FOIA the FBI and NCIS. Of course, they reject it. The FBI won't give me anything. They make some bullshit about like private information. The NCIS rejects it for interest of national security and foreign relations. They won't give me a single thing regarding the case. I say, I want everything. Give me every, anything and everything you've got. Won't give me anything. I look up another one there, uh, uh, O'Reilly Tates. She was this like right-wing persona like a decade ago. And she foiled the, F, the NC... Uh, no, who did she FOIA? The National Security Agency for stuff related to MH370. She got the exact same rejection as well. Why are all these getting rejected for national security? And why is the F? Why is MH370 getting the same exemption as uh, Edward C. Lynn is getting? Especially if this wasn't really a spy case. Why? Right. Why is this potentially being hidden? If you go look up, there was another guy that he literally sold secrets to China, and he only got two years and like a five thousand dollar fine. This was just like a few days ago, right? And they said exactly what he sold too. It's not like they even tried to obfuscate it. So what are they not telling us about what Edward C. Lynn did? And if it was available on the internet, what is it? What do you get nine years for that's available on the internet, if not videos like this? I cannot even imagine, right? And this is the kind of stuff that nobody today can answer because it's too compelling. Like, this is clearly, this is the dude, right? He's either the guy that leaked it or he knows exactly who did. It's really no, nothing else that could be possible in this scenario. Um, and the reality is we need him to come forward. Yeah, Where is that's he? That's what we need. Um. Yeah, we we, we found him. I found his cell phone. I found everything. It was easy. It was super easy. And I called his phone number one time. This was months ago. Um, actually, quite a few months ago now. And somebody picked up and hung up right away, which was very odd. Uh, it took like three phone numbers to get to one that was working, but it, I have good reason to believe that it was his phone number. Um, and I, I sent him a message, text message saying like, hey, man, I just want you to know you're my hero and I would use anything to help you out. But the reality is somebody who spent six years in prison got out in probably 2021, 2022. Man, they're not going to want to talk about this again. Their plea right. deal is going to prevent them from doing so. If they do talk to somebody like me, they're going to go back to prison and their foot, their phones are probably being monitored as well. Right. So it's a serious it's a really serious situation for him. But the reality is we need him to go to someone like AARO or the uh, inspector general. The Intelligence Community Inspector General, ICIG. Um, and we need him to apply for whistleblower status. The reality is they probably will still try to put him in prison. They might even try to kill him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, a, I mean, that's, that's just, we're talking about something that's that serious, right? Like this, if this comes out, people are going to prison. Uh, people, are, you know, they, just the lawsuits in general are going to reach the billions. Many, many, many billions, most likely. So, you know, he's he's definitely in danger if he were to come out. And his psychological state would be one where he doesn't, you know, we ignored these videos for this long. He would not probably want to talk. But the reality is he's out there. Man, we need you. Lieutenant Commander Edward Seeland, we need you to be a hero, man.
I mean, the, the world deserves this technology and people like Lockheed Martin are covering it up. I'm 100% certain. All right, Ashton. So be, before we wrap it up, a couple more things yeah, and then we'll, sure. we'll call it a, a night. Um, I wanted to talk about KT, one of the witnesses. Was she able to see mm -hmm. the orbs or she couldn't see the orbs? So I actually got in touch with her. I did a I did a few phone calls with her. I didn't like record them or anything like that, but she pretty much corroborated everything that she had said in the past. But she gave me a couple other pieces of information that I thought were interesting. First of all, she did not see the orbs. Her story is that she went into the boat and put the kettle on and she came out a little bit later and there was no plane there anymore. People argue, well, why would you leave if you see this glowing orange plane, right? But you can't, you got to put yourself in somebody else's state of mind. She was like fighting with her husband on the boat. She was, uh, she told me that he came out and they got in a fight and then, you know, she went in and she didn't mention the, the plane in the sky uh, to him at all or anything like that. Um, one thing she also mentioned, which I don't know if I've ever reported on, is that somebody else, like one of the crew people was on the boat but that they didn't want to go public at all because their daughter was, I forget which company it was, but was like working for or going to try and get an internship or something at like Immersat or something like that, like something crazy oh, like wow. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there might even be another witness out there that's like literally afraid to speak um, and corroborate her sighting as well. She could even be lying and, and she maybe she did see it, right? And she's too afraid to talk about it. I don't know. But she didn't. She told me that she didn't see the orbs and she didn't see the plane disappear. But that she went inside, came out, and there was no plane there anymore. But she saw like a glowing orange halo, pretty much kind of thing in the sky. Um, and I could imagine if you see this glowing orange plane, man, you, you might be thinking you're like, I'd be like, okay, did somebody drug me? Like, <laughs> what the heck is going on? That would be an just an incredible sighting, no matter what, right? Um, but yeah, and so the two things that she told me, and I found her to be highly credible. I think that uh, everybody who's not part of the independent group, I mean, her sightings have been recreated. They've looked at the automatic GPS to show that she was in the right area at the right time. She told me that the expert she talked to tried to pressure her to change her time to fit their stories, which that's a huge red flag right away because they were trying to use this phony Immersat data to try to explain how this plane went in the South Indian Ocean. But she's a big roadblock to that because, you know, if she sees this plane on fire here, glowing orange, it completely destroys their narratives. So they don't even, they, to date, I haven't heard any credible reason why she should be discredited at all. None at all. I mean, they've got the automatic GPS to prove she was there. There's no doubt whatsoever. Um, and they try to change the times because, you know, it's just destroys their narrative if they if her time is accurate. Um, and then the other thing she told me was that I tried to get her to follow the case in my investigation, which she didn't seem very interested in. And I knew that because I showed her the picture of the thermal thermal video overlaid over MH370, which shows, you know, like an exact match. And I said, is this what you saw? I show her that image. And she goes, well, it's not green. I saw an orange plane. And I laughed because she didn't realize we were looking at a thermal video, right? <laughs> so I realized that she had not been following the case like at all. I've been putting, posting these videos like every week. Um, and so she was clearly not following the case very much. So I said, okay, well, what about the shape? And she goes, oh, yeah, the shape is a, is a match. And I'm like, okay, wow. So she definitely saw this plane, no doubt whatsoever. Um, and I see why the experts have to discredit them. Now, I don't know if the experts are in the take, you know, or, you know, they're, you know, working as the government to cover this up. I don't like to think that in general. I think that I don't like to attribute to malice what can be described or explained by ignorance. 
Um, so I think just think that they're ignorant, you know, I, there's not another nicer way to put it, but when you ignore 19 plus witnesses, um, you know, that's what you get called in general, um, in favor of, Oh, this is what one of them literally told me like yesterday is, well, I went to Immerstadt and they printed it out the data for me. So therefore I trust them. Like, dude, they're putting a show on for you, man. But, like, like you went to Emerson, they printed it out. <laughs> that's your, that's what makes them credible to you. Yeah, and these are the same people that dude couldn't even figure out how Twitter worked. I'm sitting there going, I've got you quoted saying that the, the ping data doesn't line up with anything. And he's going, you're lying. I never said that. I'm like, dude, I'm quoting you. There's the source right there. He's like, where's the source? I'm like, can you not use Twitter? Just press the more button and click on the hyperlink that I posted there. These are the people that I'm supposed to trust are the uh, Immersat's uh, satellite ping experts, ones that can't even figure out how Twitter works. Like, you're not, it's not a good look, man. So have you or any of the witnesses, particularly KT, been approached and been told, like, you know, leave it alone? Um, did I ask KT that? Good question. Um, I can't remember. I feel like I did. And I, I feel like the answer was that she hadn't been, didn't feel like she was threatened by anybody. But again, I don't know if she would ask. Me, I have not been. Not directly. No. I think that the way they operate is through disinformation and uh, character attacks, right? They use their online troll army uh, to try to discredit people the same way that they discredited the witnesses, right? It wasn't just these experts, supposedly, that did that, right? They had people out there spreading disinformation. Um, from people that I've talked to, I think that the way that it works is People get a payment, you know, goes into a, a PayPal account or some kind of online uh, payment cash app, right? And then you spread some information on the internet for them. And that information goes viral. And that's how the government operates. They might even have people, you know, they call them the Elgin bots because uh, Reddit accidentally put out some information about their most active users. It turns out a military base in Elgin, wherever it is turned out to be one of the most active locations, right? Or it's like, why would these military bases have all these accounts on Reddit? Well, to spread misinformation, that's why. Um, but the reality is I would say that the more I talk about this, especially if the case were to go cold, I, I probably would be in danger. I mean, they don't want me out there. I'm saying stuff that is absolutely damaging to national security. And what I would say to those people who are listening is, okay, well, tell the freaking truth, right? Just tell the damn truth about the technology that you're hiding. Tell the truth about what you did to the plane. Save me the trouble of this. Like, if I can figure this out with a Twitter account, other people can figure this out too, right? We didn't need any special skills to do this. I'm just a regular guy. We right. just Googled all the old information and put the pieces together. It was easy, right? And even the technology, what's going to happen is the science is going to prove that what we're seeing in those videos is real. I'm 100% certain. I don't know how long it will take, um, but it's going to prove it. And I think we're the cracks are already starting to show. I mean, even as the last couple of months, we've been seeing... Um, science that comes out that even is is pushing the boundaries of quantum entanglement and quantum teleportation, where they're teleporting literal pictures now from one location to the other without actually sending the data. It's going to get to the point where we can teleport a macro-sized object. Um, it's probably going to start with something very small, right? And you and if you just listen to these ufology people, Danny Sheehan, who is the lawyer for Lou Elizondo, is literally telling the stories of them teleporting Coke cans from one room to the other. If you listen to Stephen Greer, he's been talking about teleportation for years, right. right? And the problem is that people think of Star Trek teleportation. We're not talking about dematerializing my phone over here and rematerializing it over here. We're talking about macroscopic phase conjugation. We're talking about having wave functions kind of be in sync perfectly to the point where you can just have an object 
uh, even those macro size still have the uh, properties and behavior of a quantum sized object, which now means that its location is probabilistic instead of deterministic. And therefore, it can be over here or it can be over here. Schrodinger's box, right? Unless we look, we don't know whether or not the cat's alive inside. Same concepts, but just on the macro scale. And we know there must be a unification theory of why things act differently on the quantum level versus something that acts differently on the macro scale level, general relativity. There must be an explanation. We just don't understand it yet. I would argue we're looking at it in two of the most high quality videos possible in 2014. Um and yeah, this will change the world. And the other thing too that's out there is room temperature superconductivity. You know, um, one of the reasons why people think that over unity devices are not possible, which is a free energy device, essentially a device that puts out more energy than you put in, is that in order for it to happen, you have to use a bunch of energy on superconductors. And, you, and to cool superconductors, it takes a huge amount of energy to do that. Now, if you have a room temperature superconductor, it takes no energy to cool. Now you can start to pretty much break the system, break, you know, uh, break what we would think would be impossible. Especially once you have the ability to produce more energy than you put in, now you can start to achieve energy limits that break the Schwinger limit that allow us to break through the fabric of space-time itself, which allows things like the quantum, the macro scale phase conjugation, this teleportation event we see in the videos. And again, the last thing I'd say is that on that front, this is something I just posted today, is that people think that the first law of thermodynamics prevents it, us from creating a infinite energy device, if you want to think of it like that. Um, but the reality is that's in a closed system. A closed system says you can never ha uh, get more energy out than you put in. But what if I open my system up and now I borrow energy from space-time? Because space-time is not empty. There's stuff in space-time. There's latent energy in space-time. So now I pull that energy in. So now I'm putting in less energy. It seems like I'm putting less energy in, but I'm only locally putting less energy in. I'm borrowing the rest from space-time using powerful magnets and superconductivity. And then I'm able to produce and get the output of much more energy than I'm putting in. This is what we're going to end up discovering. This is what's going to change the whole planet. And my mind is just a matter of time. Right. Last few things, witnesses, yeah. the, not the witnesses, the family members, are they still trying to figure out what's going on or did they give up? Have they been silenced? Yeah, so a lot have been silenced from uh, settlements. So the ones that have settled, uh, it's been uh, alluded to by the ones that are still fighting that once you sign the settlement, you're no longer allowed to talk about it. Some have definitely moved on. They've gotten remarried. I've talked to people like Florence DeChangi. She's confirmed that like the French dad's moved on, got remarried. I think Danica Weeks also moved on and got married again. Um, so, you know, it doesn't look good for the passengers. And I would say my condolences to the families. Like, even if they were able to survive this fire event, I don't know if they could survive this macroscopic phase conjugation event. Like, it doesn't seem to be like, it's not like they're in a UFO that's protected, right? And built for this. It's an airplane. So I have no idea if this technology is proven or not when they're testing it out on them. Who knows what would happen? Um no families have reached out to me whatsoever, even to this point. We looked into the settlements. You wouldn't believe how little they got. So everybody right away got a $50,000 non-contingent payout, which is just like, here's 50 grand for you, right? And then after that, I would have thought that these families would have got millions, right? Because it was tried in China and Malaysia, um, they only got about $30,000 each. So this is like 10 years later, you get 30 grand. You kidding me? Some of these people they lost their whole families. Right. They lost the people that were their income earners. You're giving them thirty grand 
And it makes sense because what hope do they have? They're never going to solve this, right? Especially if what we think is happening is videos. Unless someone like me comes forward with these videos and they can get the government to admit it. Um, there was a case in the United States because Boeing's an American company. Philip Woods, an American passenger. There was three other like babies that are technically Americans that were on board or young children. And you could argue there's a strong case for why it should be tried in the United States. In fact, there's news articles you can find that um, from the political perspective, attack the judge that that ruled against it being tried in the United States. They used this argument that Malaysia is the better country for it to be tried in, um, which is a subjective opinion out there. Um, and I would argue if these videos are real, then the jurisdiction definitely should be in the United States because the United States is directly implicated in what happened to it. So the name of that judge who ruled against it in 2018, Katenji Brown Jackson. I'm not sure if you're up to speed on things like the Supreme Court. She was uh, inaugurated into the Supreme Court by Joe Biden in 2020. Um, she took uh, whose position was it? Who stepped down? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, the Sotomayor? So, was, no, Sotomayor is still in the, the Supreme Court, but it was one of the others, Roberts or somebody. I can't remember who stepped down. But um, no, she was, she was Joe Biden's appointment. And I mean, it just seems odd. There's a lot of justices out there. So for her to be the one that rules against it, which in my mind is like, you know, I don't think she was nefarious, right? Because she's just working with the evidence that she has. But man, that did a big favor for the United States for them to dismiss that because otherwise these people would have got millions of dollars. They would have been suing the hell out of Boeing, right? Boeing would have been found liable for this. Um, and it turns out you look into the money situation, this worked out very favorably for everybody. Everybody other than the families. Malaysia got a payout from this from Boeing. Boeing doesn't get sued for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, Malaysian Airlines ends up like doing some sketchy thing where they reorg and change their shell company to limit the liability from their old company. Just all super sketchy stuff in general. So yeah, families were pretty much all science, but not all of them. Some of them are still fighting. I think his name is Jing Hui. I could be pronouncing his name incorrectly. There's a few of them they're still fighting in China courts. They still want to reopen the investigation. I would tell them if they're listening, look at the look at the videos. These are your hope. This is the truth. This is what happened in the plane. The United States government is implicated. Um, this should be tried in the United States. So I, obviously you're going to continue this until there's some sort of result. But outside of that, can we see books, doc <laughs> documentary? What's next for you? I don't know. I, I don't really know. I've always only been doing this just to get to the truth. I wouldn't consider myself an author or anything like that. Um, and I think we could make a documentary. That's a lot better. I feel very afraid that the government would do whatever they can do to prevent a documentary from coming out about these videos. I think that what they want is they want for these videos to go away. They don't want anybody to talk about them. No one in the mainstream media has ever reached out to me. I think even big podcasters are afraid to reach out to me. Uh, I know for a fact that almost every podcaster I talk to has people talk to them and tell them not to talk to me. They make up stuff that I'm a grifter, that I'm a liar, whatever, all kinds of fake stuff. Um, so I imagine that even that would cast a lot of doubt into people like Joe Rogan, Sean Ryan, Lex Friedman, et cetera. Um, if those people are listening, I am not any of those things, not at all. I have made zero money essentially from this other than just the tiny amount that I've made from a huge Twitter following that has kind of grown around me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that writing a book could make a lot of sense, but I would like to have some type of, you know, what I want is I want the government to make a statement. 
I want them to come out. I want them to either lie and say that these aren't their videos, or I want them to say, we can't confirm or deny that. I think that's what they would be forced to say. Um, and, and the moment that happens, then I'll have at least some element of closure. And then I could be happy to write a book and slow down on this. Um, but reality is until that happens, I, I'm just going to keep pushing them as hard as I can. Right. And we'll see, they'll probably have to come out with some other debunk, find some other pyromania VFX or explanation. But unless people address the mountain of evidence that I've put forth, um, you know, I, I'm not going to be stopping. I mean, so far, nobody will even take a stab at it. Right. Not even the independent group experts. They're all afraid to look at the evidence because they can't refute it. Right. I mean, you were on Tony's show, which he has a ton of followers. You were on Danny Jones. Have you reached out yep. to Eddie Bravo? Because I think even he's part of that whole Joe Rogan crew. But I think oh, he's, he? yeah, I think he'd take you on. I think he'd, you should reach out to him. Okay. Yeah. He has a podcast called Look Into It. I'll write that down. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Look at uh, Isaac Weishop. He's got a really strong following. Have you been on Tinfoil Hat? No, Tim. not not yet. I mean, so I had some of those people reach out, but I think that after this latest debunk came out, I think a lot of people got cold feet about it in general, um, which is fine. I'm not trying to pressure anybody to talk about something they don't feel comfortable looking into in general. But, you know, there's a lot of people, too, even in the conspiracy angles as well and, and what have you, regardless of where you are, that just think that this kind of technology is way too far out there. For a lot of people right and i would be happy if these videos didn't show orbs and this teleportation event but i have to follow the truth wherever it leads you know as, even if it's uncomfortable for people and that's the reality of what we're looking at here um but it would be a lot easier for people to believe that this is what happened in the plane if we didn't have that stuff going on in the videos so yeah um, but yeah, I'll definitely look into those people. And I think that I, I'm not in this, like it's not a sprint, right? I've done a lot of podcasts and they've been exhausting and I have a normal job. So it's tough balancing all this stuff for sure. And I want to kind of go back to focusing on my normal job. Um, but I, 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 this is also something I'm not going to let go. So uh, yeah, you know, I'm anybody who's out there who's listening and, and wants to, you know, talk about it. Let's, let's talk about it. Right. I'm trying to get as many people as possible. I've been on Alex Jones, Tim pool, um, some pretty big audiences out there. Um, and I think that if people look at those appearances, you'll see that I'm uh, a genuine guy, um, confident in the evidence, willing to discuss it with anybody, even people who, you know, find it hard to believe. Ashton, thank you. Appreciate your time. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate doing it. What you're doing. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. All right, boss. Thank you. Peace.